I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In this podcast, we chat about the win against Birmingham, look ahead to Brighton and answer your podcast questions. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast and this is all your Borough Match Day chatter in a pod. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Avanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Boar Breakdown Podcast with Johnny Dana and Tom. We are the Boar Podcast that gives you all of your Boar Match Day chatter in a podcast. And well, a 3-1 win for Boar, two goals from Matt Crooks, a goal from Chubb Rackpom sends Boar fifth in the championship table with six league wins in seven. Uh, Dana Malt, welcome back after your Wi-Fi <laughs> issues. Um, how are you yeah. feeling in five words? Well, firstly, New Year's same issues. But secondly, my five <laughs> words are, well, it's a bit of a cocktail of emotions, really. Happy, still a bit cautious, proud, excited, nervous. And I really want to hone in on that um, that element of pride there because I, I don't tend to feel proud of Borough unless it's like this big cup scalp and we are massively underdogged and then we sort of take these teams all the way like Man United in the cup, Tottenham in the cup, Liverpool in the cup quite a few years ago but this is a different sense of pride because Borough have endured a, a few little tiny knockbacks that could have been so much bigger than they were but we've minimised them you know the Burnley defeat uh, going a goal down against Blackburn having the the deficit halved against Birmingham I think things are just really good at the moment we're playing some good football we're confident you could tell the team when they do get those little pushbacks there they can negotiate through them and I think that's really down to Carrick and the culture that he's really put upon these players and put upon this football club. I've said it on tees yesterday that you can point all of these tactical um, implements to, to games, but at the end of the day, if the players don't want to play for you and, and if the players don't believe that they can play to the maximum ability, then you, you can only get so far. So really happy with how things are going. It was a really good victory yesterday against Birmingham and yeah, just really Really excited for the future, but still a little bit of caution there because Chris Wilder did exist and, and zapped all of the the fun out of uh, earlier on in the season. So I'm a little bit burnt still from that, as I've mentioned before, but all in all, really, really good. And, and I'm glad that I'm back after my Wi-Fi issues the last pod. 
Well, I'm going to come to you in, in a couple of minutes around Carrick and what you think of him so far. But, I mean, you've given him a glowing reference, so can't wait for you to absolutely tear him apart uh, in a couple <laughs> of minutes. Uh, Tom Green, uh, fresh from seven aside this evening. Uh, how are you feeling in five words? I want to say letting myself get carried away. Um, I think the the kind of key thing Dan has just said there was caution. And I think as Borough fans, we probably get used to that over the years. Um, you know, it looked really positive a couple of years ago under Warnock, and then we we didn't quite make it, and then looked really positive um, under Wilder, and then fell away second half of the season and, and never came back. But I don't know, something feels different with Carrick. I'm hoping it's kind of more the uh, you know upwards trajectory that Karanka had, and you know we can we can all kind of just get carried away with that again rather than anything similar to to Warnock and Wilder, but. Early signs so far, uh, you know, the, the football's really enjoyable to watch. We're playing really well. And I don't know, it's just everything you could could want as a fan at the moment. And then just to, to get that win yesterday and, you know, up, up to fifth, uh, we were briefly fourth until, uh, you know, Watford decided to score late against Norwich. Like, who would have thought a couple of months ago that we'd be in this position? It's, you know, absolutely fantastic. It is. It is. Um, we are absolutely flying. Um, I think my words are going to be the same words I had for the last two podcasts because uh, we're still winning and I'm going to keep it if we're winning. So we're going Sizzler, baby, <laughs> uh, to go make it five. Uh, so, um, but no, look, we're playing really well at the moment, aren't we? And the one thing I'm really impressed by, well, maybe not two things. I think one is how we control games now. It's not about not just game management, it's control. How can we get the most out of what we've got? How can we limit the attacks from that position? But how can we control with and without the ball? And I think we're doing that really, really well at the moment and it shows in the game. And secondly, I think just where you you alluded to earlier, Dan, I think just culture of, of what Carrick's trying to bring in, that real safe space, that environment of if you make a mistake, it's absolutely fine. We'll get out of it as a group and we'll go on and try and get a performance. And there's a nice little stat, which I'm going to come to Tom in just a moment about what we'll talk about it. But Dana, I want to hear some overall assessments from you because one, you went to Blackburn, really enjoyed yourself and you had so much to say about Michael Carrick, but you couldn't. Um, <laughs> so let's go to that first. So talk to him about Michael Carrick. What what makes you such a Carrick fangirl at the moment? <laughs> I wouldn't say a Carrick fangirl. I'm just going to press pause on that for the moment, just because, you know, Chris Wilder, you know, and all like Chris Wilder. But I think what's impressed me the most so far is how he's been able to completely flip the script with our away form. I remember putting out a thread on Twitter when he was announced. This was just after the Wigan game. So that was the first away win of the season at that point. Uh, And that was still a significant problem. I mean, looking at our away form before Carrick, it was second from bottom. Only Huddersfield had a worse uh, away record than us. We'd only picked up four points, one win, one draw, five defeats in seven games. Now we're on 14 away games played. So we've had six under Wilder, one under Leo Perkovic, and then seven under Michael Carrick. And look where we are now, seventh. 19 points accumulated, six wins, one draw, seven defeats. And we have had to get through some difficult away games. You know, we absolutely wiped the floor with with Blackpool, um, Norwich. I know they're in a, you know, they weren't in the, the best of, of forms, but they still have players that can easily get them through games. And I think they were probably in that era of 
having their top quality players drag them through despite them not playing well. And we managed to get that late winner with Crooks. And then we've had, you know, Blackburn third in the table. Or I will say, I feel like that's a false position. They are the most 10th place, third place team I've ever seen. And then, you know, yesterday at Birmingham, who have or were at least in really good form um, under John Eustace. The one, was it one appearance uh, for Middlesbrough, John Eustace back in the day? Um, so we've we've had to negotiate some really difficult away games and, and we've done that. I'm pretty sure I'm missing out one, but really, really good so far. How he's been able to completely change the narrative away from home, that's really difficult to do. And he's managed to do that. And that's a, a really big tick uh, in the box. And yeah, it's just that, that feeling of the players really like playing for him. I mentioned last week, Stuart Ratpon's going to renew his contract because he absolutely loves playing under, under Carrick. I feel like you can you can get those those vibes and that energy off a lot of the a lot of the players. So he's just embedded this really good culture. And I said on on Tease yesterday that Warnock had the man management side absolutely nailed, but towards the end, tactically, he was found out. We stagnated. It was the opposite on the Wilder. You know, he didn't have the man management. It was the us versus them mentality. It wasn't a good culture at the club, but tactically he got it spot on. Even towards the end of his his reign, I don't think you could say Brewer were playing terribly. It was a bit of a, a conundrum because tactically, sorry, statistically, we were up there in terms of expected goals, expected goals against. But Carrick has found a really good balance. And that is absolutely credit to him. He could have panicked against uh, Blackburn at halftime when I don't think it was working with Force out wide. He could have panicked at halftime against Birmingham where, you know, we were we were sort of nearly there, but not quite. He could have chased things. He didn't. He remained patient. He stuck by what he thought was right. And I think that's the a, a really good thing to note that he's patient. That's the biggest thing I've taken from it. And it's it's all just really good at the moment. So props to Carrick for that because initially I wasn't particularly excited about his appointment, but he has got me excited because of you know what he's brought to this football club so far. So massive, massive thumbs up. Um, really enjoying it so far. Yeah, and there's just so much to enjoy, isn't there? And like we were saying at the start of, of the show, the, the culture, control of games, the tweaks that we've and, and the refinements that we've made on the pitch and then off the pitch as well. It looks like. That would give it, and, and he alluded to it in his in his post match around like having the conversation at halftime. I think he's given players just the right amount of information to go out and be successful. I think sometimes when you when you play too much tactically and you and you try and bombard players with too much information, you get that analysis paralysis, and you can't really play with that with that freedom um, and struggle to to make, and you struggle to really make an impact on games. And it's really nice to to see us continue to perform but then also again against uh Birmingham we, we come at we go heads again and we win uh, a, a really really tough probably a tough game in that first 45 minutes was was quite stagnant we were playing well but just didn't get the rub of the green but second half we put them to bed and another win for the borough away from home but then how would you assess that overall performance because it was it was brilliant in the end I guess it was, yeah. And I think throughout the game, it was just, it, it took its sort of natural progression because I thought in the first half, it was a fascinating contest, I thought. A lot of the play was coming down the left-hand side initially, um, down our right. And it was one of those sort of, sorts of interesting tactical affairs, I thought. It wasn't a bad performance in that first half. I don't think it was poor. And we played some really, really good stuff. We just didn't have that final bit at the end. I remember there were a few sort of, half chances and a few chances that I think could and probably should have been a lot 
better than they were and a lot bigger than they were but the second half just took that natural progression from the first and again Carrick the message that I think he's putting into these players is don't panic keep doing what you're doing and you will reap the rewards from it and we absolutely did in that second half I mean Matt Crooks Jesus Christ please keep proving people wrong because the amount of people that we're saying at halftime and, and I completely understand this by the way you know Matt Crooks isn't a striker get him off the pitch I understand it because up front it's not the prettiest, is it, um, to be honest? But he's a finisher. He's a finisher and he scores goals. And Matt Crooks is the ex- he's just the best sort of player that you want at your football club because he might not play every game. He might not start every game, but he's going to pop up with those goals. And it was the Matt Crooks show in that second half. Just brilliant. Um, two goals, an assist, and a very, very good assist at that. And it was a very good second half performance. And much like Blackburn, I thought we were much better in that uh, second half compared to the first at Ewood Park and were turned it up when they needed to. And I think we did that against Birmingham as well. But we had to ride our luck because we did just before we scored. Um, we did ride our luck a little bit because Bielik probably should have scored from that corner. It came up on my phone as I was watching it that they'd scored Birmingham. And then it quickly said, score correction, nil-nil. And when I saw it play, because my stream was a bit behind, I was like, that is in. I, I thought that that header was in. And then I think about three or four minutes later, we went down the other end and scored. So yeah, it was a, it was a good performance, a really good second half performance. And Bora absolutely were, were worthy of those three points. Tom, how- we we speak a lot about control and we also speak about how Borough have been effective in, in, in both boxes. But how do you think Borough were able to affect the game against Birmingham and how do we overcome them? I just think the the way we're set up to play now really, really benefits us, uh, especially against, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that we have a higher quality team than than Birmingham. Um, so in, in terms of the, the, the players we've got, man for man on paper, we should be beating them. Um, but yeah, playing that possession football against uh, what you could say is a, is a weaker team, I think, I think that that does generally help. Um, you know, we can keep hold of the ball, make the ball do a lot of the work, tire them out, and and, and then attack them from there. Um, and, and just the the way Carrick Scott was playing now, I think he's getting the most out of every player uh, there. Which you know we were saying at the start of the season. Um, you know, while there wasn't didn't have the squad drilled in in the right way, these players don't suddenly turn poor overnight and. You know, I said it on the last podcast, the turnaround under Carrick, he's absolutely getting the best out of them, making them play, you know, attractive football. And at the same time, it's effective because, like I say, we're, we're keeping hold of the ball, uh, make the ball do the work, tiring them out. And I think I think that, that could be also why we tend to score uh, a lot more in the second half than the first as well. Um, you know, I've, I think both physically and mentally that can take it all on an opposition and 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 then you know we're probably in the in the better position to win from that point I'm so glad that you said about second half goals because I have such a great stat for you. Um, so <laughs> our s- seven out of the last uh, seven out of ten games under Carrick, we've been behind or level at the break but we always seem to to get a reaction because we've won five lost one and drawn one uh, out of those seven games so how do you think he's been able to affect Borough at the break, Tom? Because that is a really good record, right? Oh, it's a fantastic record, yeah. And I think I'd say half of it 
probably um, ties into what I've just said um, in terms of possession football. Like I said, the, the more a game drags on, the more tired, both physically and mentally, uh, an opposition team will be. Um, but on the other side of things, first half performances recently, and I, I think specifically I thought this about Blackburn, you can see certain things aren't working. Uh, I, I think as a, as a fan, um, you know, watching the game, you know, Force wasn't doing particularly great on the right-hand side in the first half against Blackburn. Um, you know, I, I think it was very similar to what Dana was saying about the fans at halftime, uh, speaking about Crooks uh, against Birmingham. I, I don't think he had a particularly good first half, but going into halftime at the moment, I'm feeling like with the utmost confidence that Carrick is seeing what's going on and is able to change things at halftime. And it, it's strange kind of having that feeling what seems so early in his tenure and so so early into his uh, managerial career as well. But especially the last few games, if something's not going right by halftime, I'm just feeling really confident when we go in at halftime that, you know, we're, we're going to come out firing in the second half. Yeah, and it's 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 a class to, like, have that... Um that ability and that game management to do that, isn't it? I think sometimes you bring, you have managers who can really just have a game plan and, and stick to it and be an idealist. And it's the only way we're going to play. We're not going to try and change anything. But when you've got sometimes have that pragmatic manager who's really going to game management, it can pay dividends and really turn results around. Um, but there, there was some key moments in the game. Obviously, key moments always change uh, football matches, but there was a, a sub, George Friend, came on to make his 300 appearance for Middlesbrough uh, yesterday <laughs> um, and uh, gave us some absolute corkers to come away. But, uh, <laughs> to make us win. Uh, but how did uh, Dan, how did George Friend uh, make quite a big impact on the game? Yes, I think I kind of give it away a little bit from, from the mistakes he made. Yeah, I mean, initially, as soon as, well, straight after the substitution was made, it it came in a period of the game where it knocked the momentum. When Mark Roberts went down injured and George Frank came on, I think just after that, Bielik went down as well. So there were a few stoppages that sort of stopped Borough in a period where we were teasing an opener, I thought. We were, again, as I said, playing some good stuff. We were trying to affect the game in certain areas where I think it probably became a lot more open in the second half where we were picking up those key pockets. You know, you saw um, Atpom come deeper, but also Crooks was doing the same. So it was very fluid up front and obviously Riley McGree's role is very fluid anyway. So um, it sort of lent its hand to that kind of narrative. And when George Frank came on, we all know as much as we love George, he runs like he's torn in Eddie Stobart, doesn't he? God bless him. And it was probably, I mean, he was rusty, wasn't he? I think they were talking on BBC T's about George Friend. And I think it was just this whole picture of all we, we didn't think that he was going to, be in the team from the Birmingham standpoint because he was out injured for so so long. So it was a bit of a surprise, I guess, from their point of view that he was even you know on the bench. He's called upon and he's rusty, isn't he? You could tell he hasn't played a game since August or whatever. And I mean he basically assists Crooks's goal, doesn't he? <laughs> it's just I mean it was the it was a really bad touch and Crooks uh, manages to take advantage of it. And then the, the third goal, I don't know what he does. I'll get onto it shortly, but he sort of tries to command Trusty whilst also getting in his way. So it just creates this massive open field of space for Atpom to run into. And then obviously he runs Ruddy and scores. So 
I think obviously he was the main culprit. He was the reason why we scored um, the first goal. Uh, sorry, the second goal. And then with the third, I think he could have done better with it there. So yeah, um, some key mistakes there for George Friend. But yeah, not bad for his 300th Borough appearance, is it? It, it isn't at all. And I feel like Tommy, he'll, he'll get a good send off um, now at the Riverside <laughs> when, uh, you know, when we're he We're so evil for laughing at him here. Oh, good old George. George. Oh, Remember, there'd be no Borough breakdown without George Friend. That's very true. That is very true. George Friend for fan club. Was it George Friend for? Uh, friend, friend Army 4, it was back in the day. Friend Army 4. That's nice, isn't it? The, the, the glory days. What were you, you going to say, Tom, about George Friend? Just uh... I, I was just saying, I can't laugh. Like I just I feel, felt bad for him. Even though we won, I was just like, oh, I wish it wasn't George making all the mistakes. Mm. You do a little bit, though, don't you? You do a little bit. Because no, it was like, you know, it, just it, Birmingham. If it was Bailick, I'd be much happier because there's the whole Derby connection there as well. So, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Harley yeah, Dean, mm. Harley Dean. Oh, that that would be absolutely ideal. Mm. That one. And Harley it, Dean, especially if he, from... especially if he gave away three set pieces that we all we scored from, <laughs> then <laughs> we will never forget Harley Dean. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, I'm sure, Harley let's... Dean's not going to forget them goals that we scored past him at the side as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope not. I really hope not. But Me too. I mean, he was. Didn't he get a move to the Premier League at some point, and then it failed miserably? He did. Didn't uh, he? I, don't I, I don't know, but that sounds like it could have happened. To be honest, probably did. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to nonsense. Dana will get on the get on the old Google. But anyway, Tom, whilst Dana's googling, uh, we'll chat about <laughs> Marcus Force and Isaiah Jones because. You know, it's been a change over the last couple of games, something a little bit different, and having that strike on the right-hand side. And we did touch on it ever so slightly in the last podcast, but what difference do you think Force and Jones has been on that right-hand side? Well, I think it's quite a big difference, um, and, and you touched on it last time, and I thought you summed it up pretty perfectly, that, um, you know, it, it was like having Stuani on the right again, um, and just having a, a striker there who's constantly looking to score, and that that's what it seems like with Force, like, he does get some deliveries into the box, and, you know, I think for the most part, they've been all right, but... I think he's quite direct from that right hand side and tries to cut in and score. Whereas Jones, he's he's more trying to create the chance for for someone else by, you know, t- taking the man on, getting to the getting to the byline, cutting it back. Um, so there there is uh, quite a big difference there. Um, I mean, it's working at the moment, so obviously no need to uh, to change that just yet. But even so, like last 20 minutes of a game or something, having Isaiah Jones to bring off the bench and, and terrorise that right-hand side is, uh, you know, I think most teams would love to have that option. I think yeah, his but- deliveries have been, I'll just say this, I think I think you've undersold his deliveries there a little bit, Tom, because he, he put one in in the first half. It was quite a, a cross from deep um, over to Riley McGree at the back post. And honestly, if that came from the left foot of Ryan Giles, we'd all be purring about it. And, that's what's ple- pleasantly surprised me about Marcus Foss because when we had Billy on this podcast talking about him, he created this picture as if he was just a finisher and that he didn't really have too much more to his game. But technically, in terms of you know maybe having the odd dribble, um, his touch, his ball control, I think you know his crossing, I think it's pleasantly surprised me. So I was I was really happy with Marcus Foss's uh, with his crosses. Do I want to see him play there for the foreseeable? Probably not. But you can't say it hasn't worked over the past two games. 
What was that a pun? I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying Tom weren't saying that it was uh, it was working. By the way, just just put that in there. I just thought there was a pun there. We said force sable. This you know, that's oh, I didn't even trying to play. <laughs> I thought I was like, wow, Dennis in with the puns today. Um, I'm, not that, I'm not that much of a genius, unfortunately. <laughs> it was unintentionally brilliant. Uh, I'm going to go with that. Um, but yeah, obviously with, with that as well. Um, I think he's when we've watched him. I think he's playing a bit further forward than what. Isaiah Jones would. Um, looking at his average, average positions over the last couple of games, he tends to be the furthest player forward, even though he's on the right-hand side. And also he's playing slightly narrower and he's not trying to get chalk on his boot. He's playing in that wide and half-space type of area. And, you know, he's, he's, he is trying to promote maybe an overlap from, from Tommy Smith there if we want to do it. But overall, I think he's been really solid there. But would you like to see him there uh, maybe in the next game, Tom, and, and keep Isaiah Jones out, out on the on the bench, uh, I just think it's working, so you don't change yeah. that team. To be honest, um, mm. like I say, I, I was always a big fan of that four-two-three-one with Stuani on the right. As as much as a lot of people hated it because they're saying, "Oh, he should have been playing up front," but it was very effective in that role. Um, mm. I, I don't mind the fact that you know Force is playing there. Um, I, I, it does offer something different instead of Jones. So I think as long as it's working. Uh, absolutely stick with it. Mm. Okay, then uh, I think Michael Carrick will stick with it then. But Far should have put Borough ahead and, and didn't miss it. A really good chance. And then Matty Crook scored um, two. And then to round it off, um, obviously Birmingham did score, but to round off a really, really good second half performance, Stu Brackpom uh, scored again. And he is now the, the outright uh, top goal scorer in the championship. So Dana. Um, how did Borough get that third goal and how did we round off a really good win? Well, I mean, I absolutely love this goal. I really, really do. It comes in a period of the game where Borough were conceding a possession a little bit. I think we were gifting Birmingham the ball unintentionally. They were trying to push up for that equaliser. Remember, it was 2-1 at this point. And they had committed nine players up the, up the pitch uh, with George Friend, the only player back. And in this phase of play, they actually lose two duels. One of them is Bielik against Matt Crooks and the other one is Akpom against Bellingham, I think that is. And that just triggers the counter-attack. And I think Borough were really spot on with their counter-attacks in that second half. They were really, they had a lot of conviction uh, with them. I have no idea what George Friend and Trusty are doing there. They're just getting each other's way. I think Crooks manages to drag them both over to him and Crooks is scanning. He's scanning for that space and he's waiting for Jones on the outside of him. That doesn't come, that that um, option for him um, on the outside. So he basically just waits it out. He slows the game down. It's what he did against Blackburn. What, what Crooks is very good at is to just slow the pace of the game down and then quicken it. And he did this very... Same pass against Huddersfield. Remember the the no look uh, reverse ball for Duncan Watmore, one of his goals um, at the John Smith Stadium. He has that in his locker, Crooks. He's a very strange player in that sometimes he can have the touch of a trampoline, but other times he can pull something out like that a really top quality ball, and he just manages to get it. I think just behind Trusty and Friend into space for Tubrat Pom, and I absolutely love it from well from the pass onwards really because this happens very very quickly. Akpom takes the ball in the space that that. Um, 
Crooks has played the pass into and he rounds Ruddy. And, and don't forget, Ruddy is statistically one of, if not the best performing keeper in the championship this season. So if you want to come up against a, oh, sorry, if you, yeah, if you want to come up against a, a goalkeeper one-on-one, it's probably not John Ruddy, but he takes it around him at speed and just steadies the ball home. He then takes his gloves off, both of his gloves, in one single move. And I was so I was like, where's his gloves gone? Because in one frame they were on, then in the next frame they weren't. And I was like, I mean, the way that Chia Bratpom is playing at the moment, I won't be surprised if he's turned into a magician, but his, his gloves just come off, <laughs> um, which I thought was brilliant. And and then all of a sudden he's... Um, is th- there's another tube rap pom chant. I'm very happy that we've just got a whole songbook of tube rap pom chants at the moment. And yeah, it was just a really good goal. The pass, the speed at which we attack, the conviction at which we attack. Yeah, the pass from Crooks, the um, rounding Ruddy and scoring. It was brilliant. It was a really, really good goal. Unfortunately, George Friend ends up on his, I think his stomach at the end. Um, we love George Friend, but he didn't have a particularly great second half, did he? But really good, yeah. really, really good goal. I love it. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't tap it in, to be honest. Like, he, he gave us the other two goals, and he gave us the third one. You know what I mean? He'd ramp it off. Uh, but no, yeah, it's really good uh, awareness from Crooks, really good composure from Akpom and Borgo with all the three points. But Tom, in, in the post-match uh, presser with Matt Crooks, um, he said he played up front uh, for Akron and Stanley and was terrible. Um, and then when <laughs> Carrick and Woodgate came into the building, Woodgate did mention uh, that he could potentially play as a centre forward or that that uh, that Roman centre forward that want that want to implement, Carrick's clearly improved him. But how has Crooks just became this piece of uh, brilliance up front? It's it's really strange because I didn't think it was going to work at all. And yeah, I mean, fair play to Woody for spotting that. Like, because uh, I don't I don't think anyone would have seen that coming, especially in that type of role Not up for front. Me. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> well, I did say I did say on the Telegram chat, I, I am a clairvoyant, and and Crooks is going to score in that second half. <laughs> you are, and to be fair, you said in the in the podcast a couple of, couple of weeks ago that you prefer seeing up front. So you've got all the all the plaudits. Let's let's clip this just moment, Dana, and we'll put it on the socials, and we can remember it for the entirety of. Whenever we do this podcast, still. Uh, so anyway, sorry, uh, Tom, Matt Crook centre forward. You were saying- I was going to say, especially in this role, I don't think anyone was seeing him being that effective because I think when he came in, uh, obviously Warnock was the manager, and you just look at him, you think, what six for four, six for five midfielder. If we're chasing a game, he's scoring up front with Uche, and you know we're just going to be launching it into him. And you'd think if he was playing up front, that's the type of striker he'd be. He'd be there to win headers and uh, you know get knockdowns for for the other strikers. But not to, to score both those uh, both those goals. Obviously, one of them being a header, and he was in just the right position, but he didn't even have to jump for it. And then the other one, great finish from from where he was. Um, he, I think he does a lot more running than what you like to say. What what the stereotypical opinion of him would be up front. Uh, I always thought under Wilder he was one of the best pressers uh, when he was on the right-hand side at midfield three. I thought he led that really well. And I think playing as that number nine with with Akpom, he can press really well, um, which I, I think, based on, on what we've seen so far, is a requirement for that role. So, yeah, I, I just, like I say, it's, it's not, not how I thought he'd be playing up front, but 
he's doing extremely well at it. And like I say, fair play to Woody for, uh, for spotting us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, and let, let's, let's move on then because uh, let's go to podcast questions because every week uh, you send us your questions via Twitter um, at Boring Scott Breakdown and we just hit 10,000 followers. So thank you very much for, for following us. If you haven't and you watch us on YouTube and you don't follow us on Twitter, get us, get us followed. Um, if you don't want to send us them via Twitter, send about it via email at theboringbreakdownhotmail.com or join our Telegram chat with all the 298 Bora fans in there talking maybe Borough, gaming, EFL, random stuff, and some transfer rumors every now and again. Uh, so the first question, it's from Paul, and he says, uh, do you think the Premier League teams will come sniffing around Akpom and Jones this month? Dana Malt, do you think Premier League teams will come sniffing around for Akpom and Jones this month? Well, apparently they've already sniffed around Akpom, which is no surprise. Daily Mail reporters said that Southampton, Crystal Palace and... One more team, and I can't remember who Everton. Everton, uh-huh. it was. Um, and monitoring and, and monitoring him, and it's no surprise, really. He's the the top goal scorer in the championship. Which can we just like appreciate that for a second? Because that doesn't tend to happen. Um, Ryan Giles, top of the assists. I'm going on a tangent here, but uh, Giles, top of the assists as well. We are the third top goal scorers in the league. Um, crazy stuff. I don't know where this has come from, but yeah, you. I think. Premier League clubs, especially those that are maybe struggling a little bit up front, which it would be stupid of them not to look at Akpom because his form has been absolutely brilliant and he's somebody that 
probably just deserve that Premier League interest, if I'm honest, such is his trajectory at Middlesbrough. And he's playing in a role that just suits him down to the ground. His ability to affect the game is brilliant. The, the Blackburn game, despite him not scoring, I thought his performance was good because he was able to affect the game through just being in those pockets and drawing players out of position. He's a marked man, that's what Carrick said. And I think Carrick's taken... Um, has managed 10 games so far this season and Atpom scored in nine of them. There's only two of those 10 games that Atpom hasn't registered a goal involvement. So his form is absolutely frightening, to be honest. And I think it would be stupid for Premier League clubs, especially those towards the end of the, sorry, the bottom of the table that are struggling to score goals that aren't looking at him. As for Jones, um, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Obviously, he's had a, not a difficult second season, just a different second season. We have to acknowledge the changes. It's a change of manager, change of style, change of formation. Uh, things are different. And is it really that much of a surprise that Jones's performances have been different as well? I wouldn't say he's struggled necessarily. I just think things have changed and his performances have changed because of it. But he's still a talented player. Let's not forget that. He was one of the best players in the championship last season in terms of his creativity and his threat. So I think teams will probably be looking at that, unlock that again, and you've got a really good player. So I wouldn't be surprised if teams are sniffing around him, but uh, I don't know. I think you have a different opinion uh, to me on this, Johnny, but I don't think I would sell him. Or Jones. Um, I, I think out of the two between Akpom and Jones, Jones is definitely easier to replace than Akpom. Uh, I think with Jones that... Yeah, he has. He's had a, a different season to the to the previous one, but for me, I, I think that he there's a lot to improve on with with Jones. To be honest, you know, I think his, his final ball can be quite disappointing at times. Um, he can be a bit wasteful, but that's every winger who was that 22 year old playing the championship. Like that's just me nitpicking, but um, I think he, I think he's not amazing and not like one of the best wingers in the league. He's just good and. You can easily be replaced. That's I don't know where I sit with it. Um, but yeah, look, I, 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 I wouldn't get rid of I wouldn't get rid of him for now because I think we need someone to come in and compete for that right hand side spot. Yes, forces came in and and shown that. And do we keep it like that? Probably for the time being because it's working. But there's going to be a time where it doesn't work. And what Borough's focus should be in the transfer window it should be the question of. How can we continue to make high, uh, high, not well, high scoring chances, and where we're going, we're going to most likely to score, and we need to answer that question. How can we do that? It's not going to just be with the forwards because yes, forwards do make their own luck, but they do come from these sources of of the wingers or the number ten, the the chance creation. How can we improve those areas first? And that should be our part of call. And I think that's why. I would say Jones is easier to replace because Akpom is doing both at the moment. He's creating his own chances and also taking the chances that we're giving him. Um, but for Jones, if we bring in someone who's who's better, then it's better chances, potentially better goals. And then you give the competition for Jones to get the best out of him to take him to that next level. Um, but if we had a great bid, then I wouldn't I wouldn't be against it, to be honest on Jones. But um, on, on, on the next question, it's from Adam. He says, do you think Carrick will sign any Manchester United youngsters for depth or play in the first team? Tom, what do you think? Well, I think there's two parts to this. One, I don't think it's going to be Carrick solely uh, signing the players. I think that's been pretty much confirmed from from Kieran Scott. Mm. We, we might have 
uh, some links he can use. And I was talking to one of my mates who was a Man United fan today uh, about this subject and just kind of saying if if there's anyone in your under 23s who, who might go out on loan. And I think the only two names that kind of really came up were Zidane Iqbal and uh, Facundo uh, Palestri. Um, so... I don't know if if we would kind of go for for either of them. I think Palestri could be that player to come and uh, compete with Jones on the right hand side. Albeit, I think he is left footed, so a bit more of a kind of inverted winger there. Um, but it doesn't seem like Man United have too many players kind of still looking like they'll go out on loan. I think they have loaned quite a lot out this season. So um, you know, who knows? Like I said, there there, there might be some players there who who we're not even thinking of who Carrick's previously worked with and you know has suggested to the you know the transfer committee or whatever we want to call it but um yeah uh it, it doesn't look like in terms of established names too many that we we might go for and just with like obviously transfer news coming in that Cameron Archer's linked with a club that was from Team Talk and and do you think that he could be the type of sign that you'd want to see at all, Tom, like Cameron Archer, good front, Moonis probably going back? Yeah, I was thinking that earlier. I think when he was you know, rumoured as a loan sign, and I just think that must be the end for, for Muniz because I think that that's kind of putting us over the, the limit of loan players that we can have in a match day squad as well. And I don't think we'd, we'd want both wages on the box if we were to bring in Cameron Archer. Um, you know, I, I think he he did have a a good season last year. Um, you know, Villa have kept hold of him this year, uh, likely for a reason. But with a change in management there, I don't think he's got too much of a, a look in anyway. So it could just be a a good move for him and just provides us with competition up top. Dana, you're a, a Cameron Archer fan, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think. <sighs> There's been a, a lot of links to Ross Stewart, but I don't think that's going to happen, especially with Ellis Sims going back to Everton. And I think even if Sims was to have stayed at Sunderland, we probably would have played uh, been played for a new contract there. But with Archer, I think... I mean, I said this on the Telegram chat, that you might be one of those players that could potentially see a, him get a permanent move in the summer. Although I did see that he signed a five-year contract in you know this <laughs> summer. So probably not. But... I still think he's probably one of those players that will just give us that extra little bit of quality that we need up front because you're looking at that number nine position and we probably do need some some extra uh, depth in there and extra quality. And, um, you know, he is a player that was fantastic on loan at Preston last season. I think their fans are gutted that he's going to another championship club, but are kind of resigned to the fact that that's probably likely to happen because he should be playing for a team that are, are, are sort of playoff bound or have that sort of trajectory anyway, like we are at the moment. And yeah, I think he would be a superb sign and either him or potentially Sam Surridge. I know he's been linked with Sunderland as well, but you know, these players from Premier League clubs that just aren't getting a look in that can be that final piece of the jigsaw at the front, I think would be brilliant. Okay then. Next question um, is from Dean. He says, the next three league games are all against playoff chasing rivals. Uh, a chance to put some real daylight between us and seventh. Can we keep the good run going? And how many points can we get from uh, those three games? So, Borough play uh, Millwall after the Brighton game, and then Sunderland away, then Watford at home. So, 
want to hear you both uh, give me an answer on this one. So, Tom, you first. How many points do you reckon we can get from those next three games? I see it being seven, you know. Um, I was saying to, to my uncle when we were watching the game yesterday, mainly looking at the next two games, I thought if we can beat Millwall and then beat Sunderland, I'm going to start really believing. Only thing is, I just... With Sunderland away, Derby game, you never know what's going to happen. I'm going to go for that being kind of unpredictable and that being a draw, but I'm confident with the other two at home. Then Four for me, I think. I mean, I've upgraded this from what I put in the Telegram chat, which I think was two draws and a defeat. I've upgraded the Millwall game to a win. I think we'll draw against um, Sunderland. I think we'll probably get beat by Watford but I'm honestly looking at February as a make or break month because we've got Sheffield United in that month I think we've got West Brom as well we might have another team that in and around the the top six it's QPR that, QPR yeah that one's going to be although I think they've completely fallen off a cliff though I think they definitely have the ability to get back on the horse shall we say so yeah I think that I'm looking at that month February as a make or break month and the final question then uh, it's from Mark uh, and he says are we happy if Carrick makes wholesale changes against Brighton Danny are you happy if Mark uh, if, uh, if Matt Carrick make, I was going to say if Mark makes changes there Mark, <laughs> you, you, you're being promoted to manager uh, for the Brighton game um, <laughs> uh, are you happy if uh, Matt Carrick makes wholesale changes against Brighton Um, I wouldn't be too fussed about it to be honest I think the early rounds of the FA Cup I don't I'm kind of on the fence with a lot of things a bit ambivalent but um, I think it provides a really good opportunity for the likes of Paddy McNair and um, Mark Bowler um, to be able to get some minutes under their belt potentially Matthew Hoppy as well Matt Clark if he's back from from injury which I feel like I'm not I mean I'm not even sure if he is or not but I think those players that are sort of on the periphery that have been in and around the matchday squad but not really in the team, I think it provides a really good opportunity for them to just get involved a little bit more on the pitch. And um, it is all about the squad. It's what um, Carrick said after the game against Birmingham that it was good to give Paddy McNair and Mark Baller some minutes because they've been working really hard behind the scenes to to try to break into the first team. And um, yeah, I think it, it it's probably one of those games where we could see the likes of Paddy McNair and it's, it's weird how he's just completely been taken out of the team but you can't argue with it um, and he's going to be an interesting one because he came on and he played in midfield against Birmingham but I've never been convinced um, with Paddy McNair in midfield so could he potentially be uh, somebody that we can make a bit of money on or you know sell in January potentially and and if that is the case that we might be looking to move Paddy McNair on and you know the Brighton game could be an opportunity to put him in the shop window um, I don't know why you want to be in the shop window because he's he's shown uh, what he's capable of the past few seasons but still provides a good opportunity for those players yeah and it, to be fair he, he needed probably time out from the squad anyway I think just from the amount of games he was playing uh, I think statistically, yeah. I think it wasn't it like a game or sort of game a bit a week for like the last three years or something, stuff like that. Mm. I can't but it's a lot of football, but you know, for him to sit out now, um, and you know, he did come on that like that number ten uh, spot as well. So he did play there uh, under Sunderland when he was at Sunderland as well. So under Sunderland at Sunderland. Um, so yeah, really good. You can never know; it, it might work out for him, might not, but. If he's going to be playing that number 10 role, it's going to be very difficult. I think with Chubrak Pom uh, being so successful at the moment. 
Well, let's move on uh, to the praise and place then, because the praise and place is the place. We'd like to give praise to the Morton Neuron Disease Association for all the work that they do um, with, and get carers on. You can donate to our fundraiser as well um, by looking at our um, scanner thing. Now, is it a scanner? I can't remember what it's called. Um, QR, QR code. code. QR <laughs> code, yeah, QR codes. Um, or you can donate. It's all in our bios as well. Uh, you can have Dana's Wi-Fi for this podcast as <laughs> part of your praise and place, or you can have the hairdresser that cuts mine and Tom's hair. Uh, but next, uh, so who goes uh, who goes in the present place this week then, guys? Uh, Tom, who is your nominee? Yeah, got to go with our hairdresser. But, uh, well, oh, Graham, oh, yeah, <laughs> shout out to Graham. Eh? Other than him, probably, uh, I think Matt Crooks is, uh, is, is really deserving of it this week. Um, like I say, he's playing that number nine role really well, got a couple of goals, and... Like I said, just fulfilling what that role needs really well. Um, like I said earlier, I'm really a uh, big fan of kind of his pressing. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, he, he, he does that excellently. And yeah, just to cap it off of a couple of goals. And then he's probably going to be in here every week, but uh, shoot Barack <laughs> Bomb as well. Okay, Dana, who are you going to go for? I'm going to mention Jonathan Woodgate because I think he deserves it quite frankly um you know he obviously earmarked quite early that Matt Crooks could play as a striker and he, it's you know reap the rewards from it and um I'm really glad for Woodgate because I think even before his appointment as Middlesbrough manager back in what was it 2019 there were a lot of criticisms of him and a, a lot of them were because of you know the incident off uh, incidents off the the pitch but his future doesn't mean that the pre you know he's he's that sort of person in the present and I just think that he has shown and and he's people have given him a lot of praise in, in the game regarding his coaching ability and I think we are seeing that he um it, it didn't work for Jonathan Woodgate as a manager but that doesn't mean that it can't work for him as a coach and I'm really glad that you know he's he's involved under Carrick in that he's valued because I think it could have been easy for a lot of people maybe around the club to sort of think that he's a bit of a stink bomb because of his last time here I mean he, you know what happened he nearly got us relegated let's not beat around the bush but I think you know it, it's been really good to see um the kind of um yeah the reclaiming his title as a as, as a good coach because by all accounts he is yeah, and, and to be fair, it, it, he was actually going to be in, in my uh, present place as well. I think just uh, I'm, I've been warmly surprised um, how 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 well he's been doing uh, as a coach and his contributions. And it's clear that the players really enjoy working under him and under Carrick as well. You know, the, the, the and 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 it feels like that would just all together as a, as a group, you know what I mean? Like everyone's seen from the same hymn sheet. Everyone knows what they want to do. Everyone has a clear vision of what we want to play and how we want to play and how we can control a football match and how can we improve. And it's those innovative game moments as well that we've been uh, doing, which has been really successful. Um, and they deserve a lot of press like him, Jonathan Woodgate, uh, Aaron Danks, you know, uh, and, and Mike Carrick as well. And probably... I would, I would probably, I want Marcus Foster to go in there. If he, if he scored, I would have been the Mark, uh, Marcus <laughs> Foster fanboy again, because uh, I've really enjoyed his performances of late. Uh, but Hayden Hackney's been excellent too. I think there's a lot of players that could be in um, 
the present place week in, week out, but I'm going to have to probably just stick Alan with, with we'll get the same as you, Dana. But um, let's look ahead uh, to the FA Cup now because Bora face Brighton and Hove Albion uh, at the Riverside in the third round of the FA Cup. And Roberto De Zerbi's side is sitting ninth in the Premier League table. So we spoke uh, to Liam from Albion Analytics uh, to find out a little bit more about Brighton this season. Hello, Borough Breakdown listeners. This is Liam from Albion Analytics. Going to give you a little bit of opposition insight, opposition analysis into what you can expect from Brighton this weekend and at the FA Cup third round. In terms of our season so far, um, it's been a bit mixed. Obviously, the Premier League um, was impacted more by sort of the, the World Cup break. Um, so we have some players go away for the World Cup. Um, Obviously, I'm sure many would have seen Graham Potter leaving and being replaced by Roberto De Zerbi. It's not done a huge turn in terms of what the overall style of play looks like. Um, it's still very possession heavy, liking to build through the thirds, being nice and patient. Um, there's now pretty more of a focus of doing so with sort of two defensive midfielders um, and a nice double pivot and sort of really being organised and playing lots of short passes where maybe at times uh, under Potter, and that's also linked to having Danny Welbeck fit at the start of the season, um, we'd be a bit more direct at times and playing behind. Um, so I think you can expect Brighton to dominate a lot of the possession um, and maybe Borough to be a little bit more defensive. In terms of players to look out for, it's difficult to know who he's going to go with um, in terms of personnel, but Evan Ferguson is a really talented youngster. Um, he's only just turned 18 and signed a professional um, deal, as he's obviously able to at 18, um, but scored lots of goals to the under-21s, uh, or what is now the under-21s, what was the under-23s. Um, really risen through the, the youth ranks and is a really talented, um, good young player, quite tall, quite physical, um, very physically mature for his age indeed, uh, and scored his first Premier League goal um, against Arsenal. Um, and just a really good sort of all-round number nine um, and this is the sort of stage where I definitely think we can expect to see him get plenty of minutes and I'd add Jeremy Sarmiento to that list too um, some of you might have seen him playing for Ecuador at the World Cup he came off the bench a couple of times I think um, really good really good mover um, good technical dynamic you know dribbling winger um, right footed often likes to play off the left and cut inside and that's what Zerbi likes in his sort of 4-2-3-1 um, playing with sort of inverted wingers and a number 10 um, in behind sort of a, a number nine in terms of predictions, it's difficult to note. Um, I think really dependent on the sort of team that we put out. Obviously, we're now out of the Carabao Cup, so there might be a bit more focus on trying to get the cup run going, given we're in a decent position in the league. I've, I've got decent memories um, actually going to the Riverside and watching Glenn Murray score the winner. Um, I think George Friend cleared a cross onto his leg um, for Brighton to win 1-0 uh, a few years ago now in what was a very bad game of football. Um, so I think any sort of win um, for Brighton would be fantastic, and a clean sheet I think is very important too. Our, our biggest you know, probably limitation so far under Roberto De Zerbi has been defensively. We've not been as sound um, as perhaps we have been before. Admittedly, going forward, we've been really good. We've scored, you know, multiple times, scored three, four goals uh, in multiple games, and that's been really exciting. Um, so I'd, I'd back Albion to, to get the win here. Oh, George, friend, if it's not from us, it's from uh, Brighton Albion as well, isn't it? <laughs> He's not having a good podcast, mate. We George are going friend, to hell. <laughs> Oh God, I'm sorry, George. I'm sorry. You are welcome on this podcast anytime and I will never mention the mistakes. <laughs> but I forgot that Liam said that as well. So we just uh, he's had a poor podcast, George friend, hasn't he? Anyway, uh, predictions. Uh Emerson does the Samba and we're on the way at Wembley way again. Uh can we beat Brighton? Tom Green, what was your prediction? Yeah, of course we can. And I'm gonna try and get this out quickly because I feel like I'm on the verge of sneezing, so no one needs to wear that on the podcast. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> do it to... the first no, podcast sees ever that will deafen half of our listeners honestly <laughs> um proper dad sneezer but um yeah i'm really looking forward to it on uh 
on Saturday. I've taken the uh, the opportunity of the the lower prices uh, to go and sit in the West End, right behind the director's box. I'm hoping to spot the new signings there. And uh, yeah, I, f- I think we can beat them. I'm going to go to one borough. Okay, no worries, Sam. You can you can dance knees now, so uh, just 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 put yourself on mute. <laughs> but two one uh, from Tom and uh, Mal. What is your prediction? Ooh, um, <laughs> I don't know because I've been trying not to laugh for the past like two minutes. Um, you know what? I reckon, unfortunately, to to downplay the mood a bit, I reckon they'll they'll beat us. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be a classic game. Um, Glenn Murray and Dale Stevens will probably return from the shadows of wherever they have been. I mean, um, Glenn Murray's retired, but we'll go with it. Yeah, exactly. He's on Sky, isn't he? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll um, come back from the shadows of the Sky Sports Studios and then Dale Stevens can return from the cobwebs of Rockcliffe after he was training with us <laughs> in the summer. Um, I think it'll, it'll be us, um, unfortunately, but it is what it is. I can't wait for the Millwall game. I'm, I'm quite, I, f- I feel quite low key about the FA Cup. I've said this before on the podcast, but um, yeah, the early rounds are usually, but you know, I don't really have too much of an opinion either way, to be fair. Okay, then. Um, I'm going to go with, I probably, I think Brighton will beat us, you know, I think they'll be, uh, beat us 2 1. I can see a scoring. Um, I think there's a bit too much quality uh, from the Brighton side, and they are really nice to watch as well. And they're definitely the a club that I would like to see us become more of um over like the next couple of years i mean who had said that in 2016 yeah, uh but yeah. but now but now look at us uh still in the championship and they're flying high in, in the premier league but anyway guys thank you very much uh for joining me as always and to the listeners and the viewers uh don't forget to subscribe uh on your podcast provider and if you watch on youtube and you haven't subscribed already because there's about 35 percent of you that watch us every week and haven't subscribed so get on the subscribe button and subscribe because that can help us grow and help other borough fans and championship fans uh find us but for right now the christmas tree is down but there's a tree still standing it's a crazy little thing called crooks hey hey it's Matt Crooks, and they just can't handle him, is he? It's Matt Crooks, he's six foot three, and we call him the tree, he's ready. Crazy little thing called Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 